1: What's up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Never Graduate College Sports Podcast where we don't just talk college sports, we live college sports. I am your host Tyler Graves and once again today I will be joined by my friend Whit Barfield to go through the remainder of the AP Preseason Top 25 discussing whether teams 1-14 through are too high, too low or ranked just right. And then after that, before I get out of here today, I will give you guys a quick week zero preview. I'm actually going to give you guys a couple of best bets to open the college football season. And I am freaking pumped up to say that, guys. It is incredible. I can't really fully describe how incredible it feels to say that I'm actually going to be able to talk real games that are happening this week. So we will do that to wrap things up today. But before we get to any of that today, I do just want to first quickly thank each and every one of you out there for listening to this podcast I appreciate you guys I have been running a team podcast for eight straight seasons we're going to our eighth season this year but this is the first year where I'm doing a national podcast so I appreciate you guys number one finding the show and sticking with us for those of you who have been listening for a couple of weeks I I hope you get the idea I just like to talk hardcore college football I don't really care about the storylines and the off the field drama I mean there's a time and a place for that But that's not really my thing. I like talking ball. I like talking college football. I like talking teams, matchup players. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we have been doing since we started this this podcast a couple of months ago. That's what we're going to do all season long. So if you're into that kind of thing, then this is the podcast for you. And we're going to have a hell of a lot of fun talking real college football all season long. So thank you guys for being here. And if you're new to the show, welcome. Thank you for being here. And one last thing before we get to the content today a lot of you guys have been incredible, and you've already gone into to Apple Podcasts and given the, the podcast a five-star rating and or review, and that's awesome. I cannot thank you guys enough for that, but I know there's more of you out there listening, and if you get a chance, I know life's busy, and got a lot of things going on, but if you get a chance, say, hey, why not right now? If you like what you hear, if you enjoy this podcast please consider giving the the show a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you are listening to to the show because that's a huge help as we try to grow this this podcast and get this out there to more people. So if you enjoy it, that's an easy way to help us out. So thank you in advance for that and thank you again to everyone who has already done that. But let's go ahead and get to some football talk. I've got Wit back with me today from the Around the Keg podcast. Again, guys, that's an incredible podcast. They talk hardcore college football like we do here, but they also branch out and they talk other sports as well. It's a little bit of a general sports podcast that leans college football, but they have a lot of fun, man. They do a fantastic job, so check that out. Again, that's the Around the Keg podcast, but Whit Barfield is back with me today, and we're going to pick back up where we left off last week, and that's going to start us with number 14, North Carolina State, who have some big expectations. Coming into the season, they were oh so close to getting 10 wins last year, but they didn't end up getting a chance to play their bowl game. They're supposed to play UCLA. UCLA backed out, there was a lot of drama there off the field. The, uh, the, the Wolfpack, Dave Dorn, were not very excited about that because they thought they were going to win that game and get to 10 wins, and that's, that's, a good, that's a very important marker for that program. They did beat Clemson last year, so they got that high-profile win, kind of got that monkey off their back, and they do enter 2022 with some very high expectations, some, shall I say, unprecedented expectations coming into the year. Now, this is a team that I've already got money on to go over 8.5 wins. I had money on them to go over 6.5 wins last year, and we cashed that by mid-October. Hopefully we'll see the same this year. But when, I'm curious what your take is here on the pack. Are they ranked too high, too low, or just right?
0: Honestly, Tyler, with a team like this with NC State, I kind of have a sneaky suspicion. This is one of those teams that they get a lot of preseason hype. A lot of people are throwing them in that top ten range, another thirteen in the AP. But um, a lot of people doing power rankings and stuff had them winning in the ACC and. I don't know. I feel like NC State's kind of one of those teams that just does not do it two years in a row. I mean, they were right there. They beat Clemson last year. They were right there to uh, right there to win the ACC. Ended up not winning. Uh, who, did, who did they come second to? They were uh, – Wake Forest ended up winning that division. Yeah. I think they lost. It was a was great
1: it? game, man. Like It came yeah. down to that game. That was an awesome game. I was yeah. going to
0: say. They had a close game. I mean, honestly, I would not – if someone told me NC State was the best team in the ACC last year, I don't think I could argue with them. I mean, they were I, right I, there. I, agree with you. I would yeah. say them, Pitt, and then Wake Forest all together. Um, and then Clemson kind of turned it back on towards the end of the year. I mean, those, those four teams were all great right at the end of the year. Clemson had their struggles for most of the year. But then DJ, God, the guy's terrible. But we love, either way, I think NC State, I'm going to say they're low just based off of the fact that they bring back 82% of their production. They're number eight in the entire country in returning production based on that Bill Connolly scale. Um, They bring back their quarterback, Devin Leary. The guy's taking a step forward every single year since he's been there. Um, Big fan of Doran, too. I'm going to say they're just a little bit too low. Just a little bit. But I'm back and forth. I'm definitely back and forth with them. More than any other team, probably. I'm also back and forth on
1: them. I'm back and forth on them in terms of whether or not I think they can win the Atlantic. Like, beat Clemson, win the Atlantic, and get to the ACC title game. I'm pretty high on this team. I think they're a fringe top 10 team this year. I do think they can build off of last year's momentum. As you mentioned, returning production, a lot of players coming back offensively, obviously highlighted by Devin Leary coming back at quarterback, who's a really, really good player at that position. I think they're too low. Uh, I think at Clemson is a tough game for them, but I think they're going to be favored in every other game, and I think they should be. At North Carolina could be tough, but any other potentially tricky games, they get them at home. They get Wake at home, BC at home, Texas Tech at home, FSU at home. I think 10-2 and two is very realistic. I don't think 11-1 is outside the question for NC State. I really don't. I think this is a top-10 caliber team. I'm I'm with you, man. I'm going too low on the pack here. I think this is a team that can absolutely win the ACC this year. It really depends on, we'll get to Clemson later, depends on what happens with that Clemson offense. If they are close to what they were last year offensively, then I think NC State can can go into Death Valley and win that game. And That would not surprise me at all. We should to see what happens to that Clemson offense. But I think regardless, even if they lose to Clemson, I think NC State's a really good football team. I don't think there are necessarily 12 better teams in the country than NC State right now. So I'm going to go too low. All right, number 12. Now, I'm interested to get your take on this one. This is another team that had a lot of success last year, and they're parlaying that success into a, a nice, solid preseason ranking coming into 2022. The Oklahoma State Cowboys lost a heartbreaker. They were literally inches away from not just winning the Big 12 title last year, but from getting a college playoff berth. And they just fell oh-so-agonizingly short. But here they are coming back this year, ranked number 12 in the preseason. So is that too high, too low, or perfect for the Popes?
0: Uh, I'm going to say this is perfect at 12. Um, I know a lot of people who think this is going to be a top-10 team. And obviously last year, I think they finished, what, six or seven? So maybe five. Yeah. I mean, they were out there. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this is a team that if they would not have lost that game to Baylor in the Big 12 championship, we probably would have seen them in the playoff. I mean, it would We're have been talking like centimeters. Like,
1: yeah. That's how I mean, literally that, was.
0: literally that last stretch right at the end of the game oh, is what end of the game for. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. And um, I mean, either way, I think this team would have gotten beat down by Alabama last year. So it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But. It's still a good team. Mike Gundy's a great head coach. He's done a really good job with just not a ton of talent he's been bringing in. He's not a great recruiter. Um, obviously, he does well enough there. He's constantly in the Big 12 title run. But one thing I've noticed about Mike Gundy is he doesn't do it two years in a row. Um, yeah, great call. Typi- typically, he'll have like a 10-win season. He'll compete for that Big 12 championship. Uh, maybe even get to the – I mean, I think this is the first time he actually played in the Big 12 championship game. And uh, I think and, that's right. But, yeah. yeah, And then the year after, it's usually another eight and four, maybe seven and five, nine and three at best. Um, and that's kind of what I think they're going to get into this year. I think if they end up at that nine and three, twelve isn't out of the question, just based on how strong the Big Twelve is going to be this year, in my opinion. Um, but the fact that they lose Jim Knowles, I think, is going to take a lot of air out of this team too. I mean, he's he's done a f- fantastic job with the defense. That's pretty much been the bread and butter the last couple of years. Um, The fact that he left for Ohio state, they lost pretty much their best defensive player last year as well uh, to Ohio state. So I, I'm going to say, I think 12 is perfect, but I definitely do not see them being higher than that. I think 12 is their ceiling. I think that's about where they're going to be. Okay. Fair.
1: I, I went through my Michigan state take and I feel very similarly about Oklahoma state. I I don't feel like they're going to fall off as much as Michigan state this year. Maybe because the Big 12 is just they don't have that dominant team, at least coming in this season. But I'm going to go this is a little too high for Oklahoma State. And this team last year, it's kind of odd for a Mike Gundy team, because you think offense, you think Mike Gundy. But this team was driven by a top-five defense last year, and they lose almost everybody off that defense. 128th nationally and Bill Conley's returning defensive production. And as you mentioned, lose defense coordinator Jim Knowles going to Ohio State. And you have an offensive-minded head coach, and they don't recruit at a level like a team like Georgia, for instance, who just you kind of reload that side of the ball, and you have the next great crop of defenders just waiting in the wings. That's not what Oklahoma State does. So I just don't think the way they won last year is sustainable into this season. They don't have those guys. And if it's not, then you have to go back to what Oklahoma State has done traditionally and rely more on your offense. And if that's the case, are you really confident that Spencer Sanders is that guy if you're an Oklahoma State fan? Personally, I would not be. I think he's fine. He's not a bad quarterback. I think he's a little too inconsistent for my liking. Maybe he takes that next step this year. Possible. But I got to base off what I've seen to this point, and I just don't think he's that guy. No Jalen Warren at running back. Who's the alpha wide receiver? I don't know who that guy is. So if they don't win defensively, which is how they won last last year, that's how they won games – I don't think they have that classic Oklahoma State high-powered offense to work with this year. And if that's the case, I just don't see this being a a fringe top 10 team. I think this is a team that could end up ranked, but I think in the 20s range. I honestly, I think this is another team that I would say is closer to being unranked at the end of the season than being a top 10 team. Like I just I think like, let's say I think NC State's better than them. I think that Miami's gonna be better. I think USC is gonna be better. I think Arkansas is going to be better. I think Ole Miss is going to be better. I think Houston is going to be better. So of all those teams we've already gone through, I think they're going to be better than I just – I'm sorry, I think Oklahoma State is too high. I think they're too high this season. All right, number 11, the Oregon Ducks. This is another team going through a transition this year. Dan Lenning coming all the way from the SEC, coming across country to the Pacific Northwest. They're coming in at number 11. Obviously, they have a big week one matchup in Atlanta, Chick-fil-A kickoff classic with the Georgia Bulldogs. So, when is that too high, too
0: low, or just right for the Oregon Ducks? Let's just say I'm not too worried about Georgia's minus 17 and a half point spread in that game. I think, uh, oh, okay, I think okay. Oregon's definitely too high. I, I think they end up as a 10 and 2, 9 and 3 team. But if we're talking power ranking standpoint, I don't right. think Oregon's going to be that good. They lose a lot of guys to transfer. Obviously, they're transitioning at quarterback, they bring in Bo Nix who honestly I think Bonex Nix would be better than Anthony Brown was for them last year, mostly because I just don't think Anthony Brown was that good. Uh, but, I'm, I mean, I don't think Bonex is going to do a ton for their team. I mean, you saw what he did at Auburn. He yeah. he had a pretty good year last year when he was healthy. Um, he made, had a couple good moments and a couple good games. I think he took a little bit of a step forward. But, I mean, I don't really see a lot around him to really help him out like he had at Auburn. I mean, um, they lose their two best running backs, one to transfer, one to the NFL. On defense, they got a couple five-star guys in here that should take the next step. They they get Justin Floback from injury, but, I mean, so far, I mean, he's a redshirt freshman. That first year, really just redshirted because he was hurt. Yeah. It was, it's hyped and, uh, at this point with him. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, if, if he's good, him and Noah Sua to get, together would be really, really good. It'd be probably the best yeah. uh, linebacker scary. tandem yep. in the country. Absolutely. But uh, besides that, I mean, Dante Manning's a really good corner. Besides that, I don't really see a lot on this team that really scares me. Uh, Dane Lanning is a phenomenal defensive mind. I think he's going to have a lot of success with Oregon, but especially because of the fact he's a phenomenal recruiter. I mean, he was one of the best recruiters at at Georgia. Um, that's with Kirby smart and other guys like that. So I I think he's going to have a lot of success going forward, but I think this year, um, definitely 11 is going to be too high for me. I'm going to say they're back towards that 20 to 18 range, maybe.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, and I know I kind of broke my rule when I talk about USC because I'm a big guy on, on the transition year concept. I guess I broke my year my rule with USC and Miami, but I, I'm going to stick with my usual rule that teams that are going through a transition, especially at the head coaching position, typically struggle to a degree in that transition season. And I'm going to stick with it here with Oregon. I think they're too high now, and maybe this is just the uh, the fan coming out in me that the the anxious completely ridiculously absurdly superstitious fan coming out in me here but i think they could give georgia a a tougher game potentially than maybe people expect and it's but it's not because of the roster everything you said makes sense you're not wrong you talk about the roster but it's more the unknown the familiarity there with with the georgia program that kind of just has my mind like all twisted up man so i'm trying to untwist it untangle it right now but as for like the team that oregon has I'm with you. Like defensively, there are some there are some nice pieces, but pieces don't make the hole. You know, there's there's more than just two or three guys that go out there and play on defense, and I, they have two or three really good guys: Dante Manning, Noah Sewell, potentially Justin Flo, uh Amave on the on the defensive line. But there are some potential holes there. Bo Nix, let me ask you this, Whip. You know, I've watched Bo Nix a lot. You know, as a Georgia guy here in the SEC, I've watched Bo Nix play a ton of football games. I think am I crazy if I said he's got to be like on the all time, the list of like all timers when it comes to being physically gifted, but not actually good at football.
0: Like he's, he's Absolutely. gotta be on that list, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at his high school tape, he did some phenomenal things. I mean, he looks like a Johnny Manziel type player yeah. and you saw it last year. I mean, like when he played against LSU, he had some just phenomenal plays. Yes. Um, I, I even watched the highlight tape the other day, just kind of getting ready for the Oregon Georgia game and saw some of the stuff he did. I mean, He's a really, really good player. I mean, the last two years against Georgia, too, he's played really well. It's just he has never lived up to that five-star Heisman potential, next Cam Newton type guy for Auburn. And right, and uh, I like, don't. You hear Johnny Manziel? Either. It's a great
1: like that. When I look at him, I'm like, I think he's more physically gifted than Johnny Manziel. I really believe that, but he's oh, clearly absolutely. not been remotely as productive.
0: Absolutely, completely agree with you.
1: So I just – I can't figure him out, man. I'm like, you you should be good, but you're not. Why? I don't understand. So maybe he's going to be good at Oregon. I don't know. But if I'm based off what I've seen to this point, um, no. He like, he was better last year, but still not – he has not been a consistently good football player. So, uh, yeah, I think he's probably going to be better than Anthony Brown, but I I still don't know if that means he's going to be really good for them. And you lose you lose Travis Dye, who was a, a probably the best player in the entire Pac-12 last year, at least offensively. Oh, yeah. He goes to USC. And I don't, I mean, I know Byron Carwell is a pretty highly recruited guy, but he's not Travis Die. If he was, he would have played more last year, and he didn't. So I don't know. I mean, that Georgia game, again, that's just the fan coming out in me. Georgia should win that football game. They should win it pretty comfortably. There's no reason that they shouldn't. But if you look at the Oregon, the rest of Oregon's schedule, the Pac 12, you know, it's the Pac 12. But I mean, you got Utah. You got BYU both coming to Oregon. So, that, you know, I I think maybe they split there, but then there's some tricky games at Wazoo, UCLA, Oregon State. So, when you have a transition year and roster changes, I don't think there's any guarantee they win those games. So, I think this is probably an eight and four team. Maybe things bounce their way and they get to like nine and three, but even if they're nine and three, I don't think they're a a fringe top 10 team. I think they're probably closer to number 15 or so. So, I'm going to go too high as well. I'm with you on that, my man. All right, let's jump into the top 10 here, man. We're counting down in the top 10. And we have the defending Big 12 championship team, the Baylor Bears with Dave Aranda coming in at number 10. So went too high, too low, or perfect for the Bears?
0: See, if we're talking about just roster standpoint and what's coming back, what they brought in from this past year with transfers and from freshmen and everything like that, I think they're definitely too high. But I'm very, very high on Dave Aranda, really, really high on him. I think he's done a phenomenal job with that program. Um, I think his attitude, like that tough, like I'm the leader type guy attitude is really good for what Baylor's trying to do. Um, plus, I mean, I'd say he's maybe a top five defensive mind in college football as well. So I, I no think doubtful. no matter what, they're going to have a really solid defense, just like they did last year. I think they're going to play really tough football, which I love to see. Um you know, they lose. They lose Bohan in their quarterback. But the reason they lost him was because they decided they were going to start their backup from last year, Blake Shapin, who came in and kind of took the job from him. Um, I, I guess that was in the Big 12 championship, right? Yeah. He, and
1: Bohannon um, so, went down with a little bit of an injury, like an hamstring right. thing. And then, so Shapin played a couple games. It's like, oh, like, he's pretty good. And then the Big yeah. 12 championship game, he played really well.
0: Yeah, and he did great. And I mean, like, obviously he didn't light the boards up or anything. It's even against Ole Miss and their defense in the Sugar Bowl. But um i'm gonna say they're too high i'm gonna say top 10 is definitely too high for baylor but i could see their ceiling being up closer to that maybe eight seven range at the very very top but i'm gonna say for me if i were to rank them and myself i'd probably have them closer to 15.
1: yeah i think i'm with you there i guess another team i don't think it's gonna fall off the face of the earth as you mentioned dave aranda is a stud and he's too good of a coach for that to happen Uh, But this is Baylor we're talking about. This is not a team that traditionally recruits well. I think when you have a guy like Dave Aranda, who's such a good schemer, especially defensively, that can be mitigated to a degree. But, again, it's Baylor. This is too high. They were awesome last year. Uh, And I'm glad that you said you had fun watching them. I like that style of play, too. That physical downhill football style is kind of what I grew up on. So I got a kick kind of seeing that throwback style, especially in the Big 12, which is usually very pass-happy. And I actually like Blake shape, and you're right. He didn't like light the world on fire, but I thought he was better than Bohannon last year, at least as a passer. I thought their offense functioned really well with him in there. But my question about Baylor, this is probably why I'm not as high on them this year. My question is, what is the offense going to look like? Because as you mentioned last year, this is a, this is a team that was a downhill, physical, rushing-based team. It was run, 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 play action to Taekwon Thornton outside. Well, they lose 2,700 rushing yards between Abram Smith, Tristan Ebner, and Gary Bohannon from last year. That's a lot of rushing production to replace. And as a team that was built on that physical ground game, are they equipped to do that again this year? And if not, and they have to somewhat somehow kind of reinvent the offense a little bit, is this still really a top-10 caliber team? I have questions on that, especially when you lose impact guys on defense like Jalen Petrie. And, yes, David Rand is awesome. I totally agree, but players matter too. So I don't know. I just don't see Baylor as a team that kind of reloads that quickly. So I think they're gonna be good. I don't think they're going to be out of the conversation, but top 10 is a little too aggressive for me right now. So I'm with you, man. I think it's a little too high for Baylor. All right. Coming in at number nine, we've got the Oklahoma Sooners. Another team undergoing some transition But this team
0: finds themselves inside the top 10. What do you think Wit too high, too low or perfect? So I've gotten a lot of bite back on this now. Granted, one of my co-hosts I do my show with is a big, big Oklahoma fan, okay. like way too biased Oklahoma fan. Like you know, the, you know the type of guys. Oh yeah, I know the type. And of you. Uh, so you know, I might just be getting a little bit too much information from him, which is kind of playing on my bias a little bit. But I actually think they are way too low, being at nine. I think this is a top six team this year, maybe even top five. Okay. So I'm, I'm we'll super high on Dylan Gabriel. I watched him a lot at UCF. Thought he did some really good things. And the fact that he comes in with Jeff Lebby. Comes in with Marvin Mims is still there. Drake Stoops had a pretty good year last year. Theo Weiss has a lot uh, left for him to kind of garner up. I think they had a really good chance to have one of the best offenses, probably maybe even second or third best offense in college football next year. Obviously, Ohio State's probably going to be number one. Um, but then you got Venables coming in. He gets to put his hands on that defense. I don't think Oklahoma has ever had the issue of not having enough talent to be a top 20 defense, which they pretty much never are. Um, so with the guys they already have in there, bringing in Venables to do what he likes to do, get them to learn how to play tough football instead of the sissy stuff they've been playing for the last four years. I think they potentially could have a really really good year. I think their their floor is pretty low. I could see them back towards that twenty to fifteen range, but I think they're going to finish in the top ten for sure. And I'm going to have them probably at number six. So I'm gonna say they're definitely too too low for me. What? You talked me
1: into that, man. You talked me into it. You've done the same thing to me that your co-host has done to you. Okay, so um <laughs> I had them at perfect, but I'm open to the idea that they could be better than that. And you've convinced me. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna go I'll go too low. I'll go too low on this. Um, I think there's there's some transition here, obviously, but there, you like the familiarity with Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy, as you mentioned there. I think that's important. Dylan Gabriel is a re- really good, productive quarterback, and I do think the defense will improve under Brent Venables. I think that's going to happen. Um, and let's not forget Oklahoma, whether there's a transition or not. And I know they lost some guys to transfer. They also brought in some talented guys too. Them in Texas, like they're still the much most talented teams in the Big Twelve. But it's really not especially close when it comes to like absolute, just like straight up talent. So. I don't like absent a dominant team in the Big Twelve. Why can't they be a team that goes eleven and one? I mean ten and two. I think I think at least ten and 2, 11 and one, maybe even undefeated. I, I don't think that's out of the question. So yeah, you talked me into it, man. I'll go. I'll go too low on that one.
0: Why? Well, right. I'll say now, the other no, thing, no, hey, thing too, Tyler. Team, are we saying? Yeah. Before we go into this one, another thing too, Tyler's. I mean, we already talked about Baylor and Oklahoma State. I think we both said that they're probably going to take a step back this year, even even though you know Dave Aranda. We both like Dave Aranda. But besides right. that, who's going to challenge them besides Texas, who's coming off a season when they lost to – they were 5-7 and seven and lost to Kansas. And, you know, they got a lot of hype coming into their season too. But, I, I mean, I don't know. Just to me, I don't see anybody challenging Oklahoma. Yeah. And I don't see – I see them taking a little bit of step forward from last year.
1: You've convinced me, man. You make a strong argument, <laughs> so I'm going to go with you. I'm going to trust you here on this one, all right?
0: <laughs> Definitely. But uh, let's not go to too Michigan here. So, number eight, history, we got the
1: Michigan Wolverines. This is a team that I'm very interested to see what they look like this year. So, what do you think? Went too
0: high, too low, or just right? Uh, Tyler, I'm the same way as you, man. I don't really know what to think about this team. I mean, uh, at first, you know, when I first started thinking about it, I was like, this team's going to take a step back. They lose too much on defense. Uh, they they didn't have enough firepower on offense for me to think their offense could take too much of a step forward to make up for what they lost on defense. Um, but, I, you know, I did a little deep dive and research and completely talked myself out of that. They got Blake Coram coming back at running back. Donovan Edwards, I completely forgot about him last year. That dude is an absolute superstar. He is a freaking monster. I know he didn't do a ton of the Orange Bowl, and honestly I think that's where a lot of that bias was coming in just from watching yeah. the Georgia beat the crap out of him. Who but did a they, lot against George in the Orange Bowl, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nobody would have done it. But I mean, look, they got Ronnie Bell coming back from injury. They still got Roman Wilson there, Cornelius Johnson at, at receiver. Um, Cade McNamara, I know people are giving him a lot of crap, but I don't think he was that bad last year. I mean, he was fine. He wasn't he wasn't great. I mean, he you know, he wasn't he's not going to compete for a Heisman, but honestly for me, I think their season comes down to if J.J. McCarthy can live up to that five-star talent that he had coming out of high school. Because when I was watching some tape on him and some of the five-stars coming out, him and Brock Vandegraaff, the rest of the guys, I thought he was, if not the best, one of the top three uh, five-star quarterbacks that were coming out of that class. So if he can take that big step forward, I think that offense can be good enough to make up for what they lost on defense. So I'm going to say, what are they, eight? I'm going to say at eight, they're going to be just right for me. Okay. Um I think ceiling. It's definitely going back to the playoff. Uh, I don't see them competing for a national championship because I think there's only three th- three teams this year that could really do that. To be I completely honest, and, and, and we'll get back. We'll get to them later. Um, but I'll say for Michigan, top eight's good. I think they could finish in the top five, top four, maybe. But I'm going to say eight is just perfect.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting team. Like I think they have a very, very high ceiling if things can fall into place with them defensively. I think offensively, they're going to be downright scary good. And I, dude, you, I swear to God, you like hacked into my computer and stole my notes here because everything <laughs> you were saying, I'm saying, I'm like, yep, 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 yep. Uh, I'm not going to run through all the names again because you did that. And you did an incredible job at that. I'll just piggyback off the JJ McCarthy thing. That's exactly where I am with Michigan. If JJ McCarthy can end up being that guy and take that job from McMare, who, as you said, McMare was not a bad quarterback. He's very good. They were very good with him last year. But McCarthy's the guy that can soup up this offense and take it to the next level. And if he becomes that guy, watch out, man. All bets are off with Michigan. And I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see. I don't know. But if he can figure things out and just take the bull by the horns and become that guy, this Michigan team can be a top-five team. They can win the Big Ten. They can beat Ohio State again. I really, truly believe that. I just – I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. So, um, it's fair to say perfect – I'm actually – I'll go too low. I think this is a team – that's closer to being a top five team than being like the number 10 team. That's, I, I think, a little too low for Michigan. I mean, they're number eight. It's hard to say too low, but I think it's, honestly, I think this is a team that has a top five potential. I really do. Um, all right, number seven. Let's go back to the Pac-12. We got the Utah Utes coming in at number seven. This is another team. I I, I think, kind of like NC State, I think people might be sleeping. I mean, they're number seven. They're not the top 10, so it's
0: hard to say sleeping. But what do you think, Witt Too high, too low, or perfect for the Utes? This is another team I'm kind of back and forth on, and it's for the same reasons as NC State, so I kind of see them in that same light. Um, It's another team that is not usually good two years in a row, not as good as their, you know, top seven. Um, So I just – I don't really see it happening again. I mean, I know they finished, what, they were top ten last year um, after – or at least before they lost in the Rose Bowl. I mean, they were – I mean, you could have said they were a top five or six team at the very, very end of the season, the way they were playing. But um, I don't know. I mean, Cam Rising, he's a really good quarterback. The more I've watched his tape, the more I've kind of fallen in love with him. I mean, he's, you know, he's not just a dominant passer or anything, but he does a lot of really good things. Uh, He's a really good football player. God, they bring back a ton. I'm going to say, I'm going to say they're just right at seven, just based off of, Preseason roster, what they had coming off from last year, um, it just the way they played in the Rose Bowl Ohio State. I know they didn't win, but man, they they played them down to the last minute. So uh, I'm gonna say, yeah, I'm gonna say seven's perfect for them. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I got perfect for
1: them. I think this team could easily go eleven and one. I mean, they got USC at home. Two organs a tricky game. But it's the Pac-12. I mean, to Florida, week one is a very honestly. I know there's a lot of exciting games in week one. That everyone's excited about. I'm a Georgia guy. Obviously, I'm excited about the the Georgia Oregon matchup. But outside of the Georgia game, I am most intrigued by Utah at Florida because I think that's going to tell us a lot about Utah. I really do. And I think this is if they can win that game, they absolutely can go 11 to one potentially even run the table in the Pac-12. It wouldn't completely stun me if they did that. Um, I, I, I when I look at this team, I'm with you. It's like my, what I struggle with is. Yes, they were very, very good last year, but are they better? Like if Michigan plays up to their potential, are they better than Michigan? I I don't think they have better players if Michigan's players play up to their potential. We'll see if that happens. Are they better than Oklahoma? Not if Oklahoma's players play up to their potential. I don't know, but in the context of them playing in the Pac 12, they're probably gonna go, you know, eight and one, seven and two at worst in the Pac-12. So I think seven is very fair and just about right for Utah. So this is a team that I certainly could see them finding themselves in the college football playoff if things kind of break their way. They have a couple of tough games, but again, it's the Pac-12, and I don't think that's a, an overly difficult path to get to the college football playoff if they can just kind of hold up their end of the bargain. They've been knocking on the door. Let's see if they can knock it down this year. All right, now this is another. There's a lot of intriguing teams here, man. Texas A&M is a kind of a controversial team coming to the year. They're coming in number six. So, what are your thoughts here on the Aggies? Too high, too low, or just
0: right? Looking at the top 25, I actually think they are a little low, being at six. And honestly, I I say that more so off the fact that of the two teams that are in front of them, more than anything, I think if I don't, I honestly think they're they're gonna what's the word? They're going to underperform based on what Texas A&M fans want them to do this year and the hype that they have coming into this season. Because I think there's legitimately Texas A&M fans that think that they're going to go in and win the national championship this year with Max Johnson. And I think, and I think Max actually, Johnson yeah. – oh, a ton of them. I mean, I, I actually know a good amount of Texas A&M fans. I went and saw some of them on a road trip I did a couple of weeks ago. But they legitimately think that Max Johnson is going to come in there and win them a national championship. And I definitely do not see that. I see a lot of good things happening for them. They bring back a lot of really good talent. I'm a big fan of Anais Smith. Chase Lane, at uh, wide receiver's coming back. Jalen Preston had a really good year probably about two years ago, and last year he was okay. Uh, Evan Stewart comes in, five-star receiver. Um, they lose a good amount on the offensive line, uh, especially losing Kenyon Green. That was pretty big for them. Yeah. But Devin A. comes back. They lose Isaiah Spiller, but Devin A. Chain's a really good running back. Defensively, they got a couple five stars in there that are kind of sneaky that people don't really talk about as much. I think the secondary is going to be really solid. Um, I think they take a step back on the defensive line. They lose uh, it's two or three. I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but I know they lose their top two or three defensive linemen. Um, and, and that's going to be a big shot for them, especially because the trenches was such a big part of their game last year. But I think. They take a step forward from last season, going, what they go, 8-4? and Yeah. Um, yeah, so they take a step forward from there, but I don't think they take the step where they beat Alabama again and they go to the SEC championship and they beat Georgia or whoever wins it, probably Georgia, and then go play for a national championship. I don't see that yet. I think they need at least one more year before that becomes a reality because they got – I mean – like I said, they take a step back on the defensive line, but they got the five stars. They got, what, four or five stars coming in on the defensive line? So they, they have the talent. It's there. They probably just need a year to kind of develop everybody and get everybody in the right sink and all that kind of stuff. Like you said, transition year. But um, I'm going to say I would probably have them at four coming off preseason. So I'm going to say they're too too high. Too low? Or too low, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I,
1: I totally, actually, I totally agree with you. And again, I agree with your reasoning here. And it's, this is where I kind of struggle. It's like, I think the team, Texas A&M, is better than a couple of teams ahead. Of them. I think, I'll just spoil it. I think they're better than Notre Dame. I think they're better better than Clemson. yeah I think if they play both those teams on neutral site they win that football game. But you play in the SEC West and you have Alabama in your own division. So I don't think, like, if I'm doing this as a projection, I don't think they'll probably finish in the top five. But if I'm no. doing it as a power ranking, I think they're a top five five team in the country based on their talent level. So I struggle with it depends on how you approach it. I'm going to approach it from power ranking perspective here. And I'm going to say too low. Uh, again, I think they're more talented than Notre Dame, more talented than Clemson. I, I think they need an answer at quarterback. That's my question. If they find the answer at quarterback, just like Michigan, all bets are off. I just don't, I don't believe in Max Johnson as that guy. Um, we'll see if it's Haynes King. I, we just don't know with Haynes King. He played about a, a game and a half last year before getting knocked out for the year. So if they find that answer, they, they, they could be that team. We'll see. I just don't know. It's hard for me to project that right now. So, to keep this short, I'm with you. Too low. very talented team, top five roster in the country, hands down, no doubt in my mind. All right, coming in at number five. Now, this one, I'll just be real with you, man. I do not see it. Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish coming in at number five. What's your take on Notre Dame, With
0: uh, 100% with you. I think five is way too high for Notre Dame. It's egregious. Year. It's, it's egregious. Completely agree with you. Um, for me, it's, you know, they bring a lot back on defense. I get it. They had a good defense last year. Um, they lose their best player in Kyle Hamilton, but they bring in Brandon Joseph, who I honestly think could step into that role and be the same type of guy. I mean, he was that kind of guy at Northwestern, so I could see it happening at, at Notre Dame. But once again, it comes down to quarterback. I mean, they had Jack Cohen last year, who did some good things for him, and honestly kind of surprised me with how well he played. But to me, going from week to week last year, I never really thought they were a top 10 team last year. I mean, I know they they won, what did they go? 11 and 1. They lost to Cincinnati, but every game they played, they weren't blowing out anybody. I mean, they was were barely beating people.
1: Miraculous. How did they go 11 and 1? Exactly.
0: Honestly, it felt like that 2012 season when they had Manti Teo and Everett mm-hmm. Golson and those guys that we probably should have been playing in the national championship after that. 2012 I know. I'm sorry. I had to do it to myself. <laughs> You're good,
1: man. You're good.
0: But the uh I mean the offensive line, I think they got a lot of good pieces on their offensive line coming back. They had a lot of young guys last year, which and they really, really, really struggled in the run game, even with Colin Williams. Uh, I like Chris Tyree. I think he's a good running back. I would honestly feel better about this team if Drew Pine was going to start a quarterback, but I know he's not. It's gonna be Tyler Buckner. Be Buckner. I didn't really I didn't see a lot from Buckner last year that makes me think he's gonna come in. And be this all star player that's going to keep that offense uh, or that's going to elevate that offense from what it was last year. Michael Mayer, obviously, probably the second best tight end, second to Brock Bowers, uh, in my opinion. He might be number one on some other people's list. But uh, to me, I think this is probably a top 15 team, definitely not a top five team. I can't believe they're this high. Crazy.
1: Crazy. Yeah, I'm with you. Top 15 team. Sure. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying they're not top five, they're not elite. Like, there are elite players in spots. You mentioned Michael Mayer, awesome. Isaiah Foskey is a pass rusher, awesome. Chris Tyree, really, really good football player. But, man, outside of that, there are some serious questions. You mentioned Tyler Buckner. Like, we're just saying he's elite? Is that what we're doing right now? Because if if not, like, I don't think there's enough talent around him offensively to mask it if he's not. Like, where are those guys? Avery Davis maybe could have been that guy. He's out for the year. Tore ACL, that sucks, man. I hate it for the guy. But I, I, don't, I don't see those players. I don't see it. And then you have Marcus Freeman transitioning to a new role as head coach yes i know he was there last year but it's a different role it's still a transition of sorts so i'm i had literally in my notes you stole it man i got him closer to the top 15 than top five that's just how i see notre dame and look that i can have that on my face in the, the year that's fine you have opinions on everything you're gonna have some egg on your face at times but right now I, I agree with you i think this is by far the most egregious of the misranked teams in my opinion coming into the season but i guess we'll see how it plays out that's not why we play the games all right, number four. I think the, number one through four seems to be a consensus like pretty much wherever you look. So what do you think about Clemson? Are they too high, too low, or just right coming in number four?
0: My problem with Clemson is I think they probably finish close to four. If it's not four, it's going to be like six or seven just because I don't think the ACC is going to have a very good year. I actually think they have a very down year. I mean, NC State yeah. might be good. I think Clemson will be good besides that and Miami. Um, besides that, I don't really see anybody taking a step forward. Maybe Florida State, but eh, I don't yeah. know. um Either way, unless DJ go Uyangule, do my best to say that there takes a huge good, step man. forward. Yeah, do did, 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 did my best. If uh, unless he takes a huge step forward, I do not see them being in the playoff. I think this is a ten and two team coming to the ACC. Um, I understand why they're at four because of the talent, especially on defense. I mean, Miles Murphy. Brian Brzeed, they bring back Tyler Davis for his senior year, which honestly I was shocked that he came back. Um, throw in Xavier Thomas still. K.J. Henry, for some reason, is sticking around. Uh, I feel like he's been there for like six years. Forever. Yeah, yeah, he's been there. Same with Xavier Thomas. That guy's he was a five-star back in like, what, 2016? Yeah, he 2017?
1: was the class before Nolan Smith.
0: Exactly, yeah. Crazy, 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 crazy. Um, But, I mean, I I don't really think – Andrew Makumbo is a really good safety. Besides that, I don't see a lot in the secondary that scares me. Um, They – I don't know. Their offensive line has been really abysmal the last couple years. I don't see that taking a step forward. Big fan of Will Shipley. I think if he could stay healthy, he has a big year. Um, But for me, if they're going to be a top-four team, I think it'll come down to either DJ's got to take a big step forward – or he's got to get benched, and Cade Klubnick has got to step in and play like Trevor Lawrence did when he took over for Kelly Bryant back in uh, the 2018-2019 season. So I'm definitely going to say they are too high. I would have them on the lower end of the top ten, so probably like eight or seven maybe.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I kind of see them like not exactly like Notre Dame, but if this is a team I don't think it's going to be bad, they're going to be a good football team. I know that. I just don't know if I see them as an elite top – Four caliber team. That's a, a shoe-in for a Codwell playoff spot. So I think this is a little too high. Um, my problem with them, I've said this several times in the offseason, I simply cannot unsee what I saw from that offense last year. I understand there were some mitigating factors there. Uh there were some injuries they dealt with, and I get all that. But I don't know, man. Like they're, yeah, they'll be better offensively, but I mean, what do they need for this offense to be good this year? They need multiple wide receivers to step up. They need DJ Ui to oh, I don't know, not be the worst quarterback in the ACC? Like, that's what he was last year. They need the offensive line to improve dramatically, as you mentioned. And all of that's going to happen in one offseason just magically, like poof, with a new offensive coordinator? I mean, maybe, I guess, but that's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask. I think, honestly, this is just a default pick for a lot of people. And they play in the ACC Atlantic, so not a ton of challenges on the schedule as you were going through there. So, yeah, I mean, good team. Probably They're going to be a top 10 team. But top four? Playoff caliber team, I'm not ready to go there yet. I think it's a little too high. And all right, so wrap things up. we we'll do things a little bit differently here with the top three teams because these are certainly the top three teams on everybody's board. I think, as you said earlier, these are the three teams I think have a chance to win the national title. I don't really think anyone outside this group of three, three teams has a chance to do that. So let's just do it this way for these top three teams. Give me your top three ring. Go ahead and just do, do it yourself. Who are the top three teams in the country? How would you rank
0: these three teams? Do you want me to do what I think the top three will finish out as or at, from like a preseason power ranking perspective? I'm
1: going to let you take it three. however you want to take it, my
0: friend. Oof, that's tough. I, I think Let's do it this way. I, let's, go, let's go
1: power ranking. Let's go power rankings.
0: Okay, I was going to say I'll probably do a power ranking. I think it's perfect. Yeah, let's go but power And I, I have no problem with it whatsoever. Alabama won, Ohio State two. Uh, Georgia three, I totally get it. I mean, obviously last year, coming into this year, Georgia and Alabama were one and two for the entire season last year. I mean, roster, if you look at the last five years, 24-7 sports recruiting rankings, they're easily the top two rosters. No no doubt, even coming into this year. yeah. Um, Georgia, I'd say I'm okay with Georgia being three solely because of how much turnover uh, Georgia has on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, when you lose guys like Nicobe Dean, Uh, Jordan Davis, uh, you lose Lewis scene, you lose Darian Kendrick, who was a great player for us last year. Um, It's, it's tough. I mean, that's a lot of leadership to lose. Um, Obviously a lot of those guys went in the first round of the draft uh, It's most players ever drafted in the NFL draft. Uh, Shout out to the dogs, but um, it's, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and number three is okay with me. I'd like to say we'd be number one. Um, but I think Alabama with what they're bringing back, they bring in Elias Ricks. Who's had a little bit of a shaky camp, but has the upside to be that cornerback one. They need, um, they bring back all those guys on defense, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, Henry Toto, um, offense. Obviously they got Bryce, Bryce Young, uh, solid bit of the offensive lines coming back. They got a pretty decent running back stable. They bring in Jameer Gibbs, who I think is going to have a pretty big year. Um, I think their biggest question mark for me is going to be the receiver position, and mostly because everybody's looking at Jermaine Burton coming from Georgia to be that number one receiver, step up like uh, Jamison Williams from last year. I don't see that happening. I he's think not he's a that great guy. Receiver. He's not. No,
1: he's not I, he's good. He's not that guy. He's look, not wide,
0: Williams. He's a, he's a really good wide receiver too, in my opinion. Like when he, he was yes. number two with George Pickens at Georgia, he had a great. You know, he had a couple great games. He had that hundred what 80, 150 yard game against yeah, game. Uh, Mississippi State last year. Daniels first started the Bulldog. Yeah, first as the Bulldog. He threw for over four hundred yards. We almost lost Mississippi State. That was up and down all over the place. God, yeah, but the um yeah we get them again this year. But the I just I don't see him taking that step. I don't see a Jameson Williams on this team. I don't see a John Mechie. I don't see a Jerry Judy. I don't see Henry Ruggs. I don't see a Jalen Waddell. That's going to be my biggest question mark for Alabama. But given the fact that they have so much coming back on defense, and one of the best pass rushes, at least from a preseason perspective, that I think I've ever seen. Insane. Um, it's really going to be inserted. ridiculous, especially with what they bring back in the secondary, too. They bring back mm-hmm. a lot of talent. Yeah. So I absolutely have them number one um but i do not have them as my national champion. So do you got? So i have Ohio State. Oh, matchups. i do. I, do. I got Ohio yeah. State playing Alabama. Um so for my playoff, i surprisingly i have USC as my number 4. I think they're going to get undefeated just because i don't think like they a little sleeper pick. I I, yeah, I like it's, that. It's my sleeper. I I'm a big fan of Lincoln Riley too. Um i think he's kind of soft in the way he coaches. It's not really hard nosed football. It's pretty much all spread, but Right. He yeah. um I think with the Pac-12, I don't think he's going to have that issue. I mean, the only team I'm really, really worried about is Utah, and I kind of, I could see Utah being that number four team too, just because of the way they play football. The They're path, man, the path is yeah, there. Exactly, Kyle. Got to Will- be Willing Florida, him. but the path is there. Yeah, exactly. The, um, but yeah, I got USC number four. I got Alabama finishing number one, uh, winning the SEC. I got them beating Georgia, unfortunately. Just try, trying to try to take the bat, the bias. Reasonable. Out of it. It's reasonable.
1: You know, yeah, but I got, I got
0: Georgia going 12 and 0 again. So I think Georgia ends up at number three and then I got Ohio state beating Georgia in a shootout. And, uh, and I got Ohio state beating Alabama in a close, close, close game. And honestly it comes down to, I think Ohio state's going to have the best offense. They're going to be super, super, super loaded. I mean, unbelievably loaded. I mean, they got Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he's going to have a big year. They got two five stars that will barely even touch the field and Julian Fleming and, uh, Emeka Ibuka, but and then they got yeah. Travion Henderson coming back at running back. The defense, God, was terrible last year. They bring in Jim Knowles. Jim Knowles, every defense he's ever touched has turned to gold every single time, no matter where he goes. Um, which is the reason I think, I think what they do is they take that defense from last year, make him a top 15 unit in the country, top 15 defense. And they take that number one offense, which I think is going to be a historic offense, and they route it to a national championship for Ryan Day, who I'm also a big fan of, even though I really don't like Ohio State.
1: Yeah, don't like him, but got respect. Good coach. Yep. That is a fantastic breakdown of the top three teams, with. I, I totally agree with you again that these are the three teams that have a chance to win the national title. And I'm not going to go into crazy detail with each of these three teams because you did an incredible job of that, and I don't have a ton to add that you did not already say because that was a pretty comprehensive response, but I'll start with this. I do agree with you that Alabama should be number one coming into the 2022 football season. I have no problem with that. I do think they're probably, based off known commodities, the most complete team right now. We know they have two Heisman Trophy contenders on their team. Obviously, Bryce Young, who's the defending Heisman Trophy winner. you got Will Anderson, who I think was robbed last year. Both those guys are back. That's a great place to start. You throw in Dallas Turner. You throw in Jameer Gibbs at running back. There's a ton of veterans in the front seven of that defense. They get both Battle and Helms back at safety. There are going to be some new faces at cornerback. Kool-Aid McKinsey played a lot for them down the stretch last year, started the national title game. So he's coming back as a sophomore. He's played a fair amount for them, but this will be his first full time as a starter. Then you've got, everyone is just assuming that Eli Ricks is going to come in from LSU and win that job, and apparently the word coming out of Alabama's fall camp is that's not happening right now. It's probably going to be Kyrie Jackson, but that defense is really, really talented, and there's a ton of upperclassmen, a ton of experience coming back. I mean, everyone in their front seven is basically a senior. Look at a B, DJ Dale, Byron Young, Will Anderson, uh, To'o To'o, Jalen Moody at, at linebacker. Everyone except for Dallas Turner is pretty much an upperclassman. Now, I do think there are some questions for this team. I still have some questions about their offensive line. Tyler Steen coming in from Vanderbilt playing left tackle might potentially help answer some of those questions, but I, I think it's obviously going to be a very good unit. We're talking about Alabama here, but is it going to be an elite offensive line unit? I still have questions there, as I have with receiver. I think they're going to be good at receiver. They have good players. Jermaine Burton coming in from Georgia. Tyler Harrell coming from Louisville. Obviously, you got former five stars like Ja'Cory Brooks at wide receiver as well. Treshawn Holden is now a junior. You've got some players there, but do you have that alpha? Do you have a Devontae Smith, a Jalen Waddle, a Henry Ruggs? Do you have a Jameson Williams-type guy at receiver right now? And I know everyone's just assuming that Jermaine Burton is going to be that guy. And he might very well end up being that guy. I'm just not 100% sold on that because we have not seen him be that guy. And yes, I know he got few opportunities at Georgia based off how their offense is structured. I understand that. I just never saw him flash like he was one of those kind of guys. Very, very good receiver, great route runner, good athlete. But is he one of those guys? that I need to see that. I need to see that before I just buy in. So there are some questions there. But I think when you look at their team in totality, offensively and defensively, this is arguably the most complete team in terms of known commodities coming back to start this season so I really don't have an issue with that I know Georgia is the defending national champion and there is that train of thought that hey you know the defending national champion should come into should come into every new season as the number one team in the country in the preseason until somebody knocks them off and I know a lot of people feel that way and like I I told you guys before I'm a Georgia guy so I should feel that way right but I think every season is its own entity What happened last season was last season. Kirby Smart would tell you this: like this team has not won national title yet. There are a lot of the players that were on that twenty twenty one national title team that are on this team, but it's a different team. It's a different year. I think every year has to be looked at independently, and in doing so, I don't really have a problem with Alabama being ranked number one in the preseason. I'm fine with that. The bigger issue I have, and I'm not like freaking out about it. It's I'm not like offended by it, but I just don't understand why everyone is just automatically assuming that Ohio State is going to be better than Georgia. And I know that we are splitting hairs here. I mean, number two, number three, who freaking cares? It really does not matter. But that's the consensus thought here. Wherever you look, whatever poll you're looking at, coach poll, AP poll, whatever publications out there, whatever preseason magazine, everyone's got Ohio State number two, right? I mean, it's pretty consensus. Bama number one, Ohio State number two, Georgia number three. And I guess I kind of understand where people are coming from. Georgia obviously lost a ton of players off last year's team, especially on defense, which everyone perceived as the driving force behind their national title team, which was true. I just have an issue with the idea the offense was just being drugged along for the ride. The Georgia offense was a top five, top 10 offense. If you look at basically every advanced metric out there, but no one wants to talk about that. They just want to focus on Georgia's defense because they were that good. They were that dominant. It was a historically good defense and you lose five first round draft picks off of that defense. So I get that, and I understand that people love offense. That's sexy. That sells. And so when you see Ohio State bringing back what they do offensively with C.J. Stroud, it's probably the Heisman Trophy frontrunner, him and, and Bryce Young. I understand that people like points being scored. They like to see those things. It's sexy. It's exciting. And Georgia doesn't play an exciting brand of offensive football. I get that. But if you're going back to like the questions that Georgia has trying to replace people, there are certainly questions with this Georgia roster. They have to answer a lot of these questions. You're replacing Darion Kendrick at cornerback. Whoever wins that job looks like it's gonna be Kamari Laster is going to basically be coming into the season with no meaningful experience whatsoever. There's a ton of guys they're having to replace on the in the front seven, whether it's you're talking about the defensive line with guys like Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, linebacker, all the linebackers. I mean, we're talking about Quay Walker is a first-round draft pick. Nakobe Dean, who should have been a first-round draft pick, but fell into the laps of, of the Philadelphia Eagles. You're looking at Channing Tindall. All those guys are gone. And I understand there's there are certainly some questions about who are going to be those guys to step up and fill, the, fill those vacancies. But Georgia recruits at a top three level year in, year out. Basically, since Kirby Smart's gotten to Athens... And those guys are on the roster. It's just that the national people who vote on these things in the preseason, they don't know their names yet because they don't follow Georgia as closely as like a Georgia fan would because they got to cover all the college football. So I get it. That's why I'm not mad about it. It's fine. It's whatever. I just don't think it's a done deal that Ohio State is just clearly better than Georgia coming into the 2022 football season. I personally think Ohio State has plenty of questions of their own coming into the season. Now certainly it's all relative, but let's not act as though Ohio State has answers up and down that roster. Sure, offensively there are essentially no questions. I guess maybe running back depth, some of the injuries they've had in the in the preseason. But Travion Henderson at the top of that lineup, I mean, he's about as good as it gets in the country. We know C.J. Stroud is a Heisman Trophy frontrunner this year. We know all about their wide receivers. Offensive line is very good as well. Offensively, they're going to be a juggernaut. I have zero question about that. I fully expect them to be one of the top two offenses in the entire country and probably the top offense all season long. But while that offense will certainly carry them through most of the games on their schedule, There are a couple of games against teams where the talent level is close enough, where that talent gap is close enough between them, like, say, against Michigan, maybe against Penn State. There are a couple games like that where the defense is going to have to show up. And right now, against the best teams on their schedule, I'm not sure the defense is going to be capable of that based off what we saw last year. Now, I know, obviously, Jim Knowles is coming in, and that gives them reason for optimism, but we're still talking about a lot of the same players that were on that defense last year. I mean, the two best teams they played last year, Oregon and Michigan, You saw what happened to Ohio State last year, and we're supposed to think just because Jim Knowles comes to town, that's magically, he's going to wave his magic wand and poof, it's all going to be magically fixed. I think that requires quite the leap of faith, honestly. To be quite honest with you, I think that requires a pretty significant leap of faith. And this is not a shot at Jim Knowles. I believe in Jim Knowles. He's been fantastic wherever he has been. He is legit. He's the real deal. But is he going to be able to have that much of an impact in his first year on the job he will have an impact they will be better but they need to be a lot better if they want to get to the point where they can beat the best teams on the schedule and beat the kinds of teams that they're going to have to beat in order to win a national championship which they couldn't do last year because that defense simply could not get the job done and I'm not sure it's a guarantee that you're not going to see the same exact story this year and when you look at Ohio State and Georgia again we are certainly splitting hairs here I just think if you look at the entire roster in its totality, these are two teams that recruit at a top three to five level, one to five level, year in and year out. They have outstanding talent. These are two of the three most talented teams in the country. But I think if you look at how their rosters are set up right now, they both have questions, which is fair. I think they both certainly have questions. But I think Georgia is a more complete team when you take both sides of the ball into equation. And I know people are going to say, well, the Georgia offense isn't close to the Ohio State offense. Well, that's true, but not many teams are. And if you look at Georgia's offense last year, this Georgia offense that so many people were just convinced that was just along for the ride last year, that was a top-five offense in a lot of the advanced offensive metrics out there that I actually believe in. Be it efficiency, be it points per play, you pick it. Georgia was top-five, top-ten in almost all of those metrics. But the convenient narrative is the Georgia defense was awesome, but the Georgia offense was just kind of okay, and now that Georgia loses all those players on defense, they're going to take a step back. Ohio State's clearly the better team. I just personally happen to believe that the gap between the Georgia offense, and the Ohio State offense, and there is a gap. I'm not crazy, but I think that gap is smaller than the gap between the Georgia defense and the Ohio State defense. Even with the losses on that Georgia defense, I think the gap between those two defenses is bigger than the gap between those two offenses. So for that reason, I would give Georgia a slight, never so slight edge, but the edge, nonetheless, over Ohio State, I would have them rank number two, but I mean, talk about splitting hairs. That's what we're doing here. All right, man. Well, dude, This was incredible. We're going to have to have you back on again, man. This was a lot of fun, dude. So thank you, Witt. Appreciate it. Again, guys, it is Around the Keg Podcast. I know you like what you heard here. How could you not? So make sure to check them out and uh, do yourself a favor there. But Witt, appreciate you, buddy. Take care, man.
0: Absolutely, man. Look forward to being on again.
1: All right, guys. So there you have it. We finally made it through the entire AP Top 25. Gave you our thoughts on who's overrated, who's underrated, and who's rated exactly right. But before I get out of here, as promised, I do want to give you guys a couple of quick best bets for week zero. I will be honest about all these before I give them out. I'm going to give you these picks, and I'm going to bet on them myself, but at the same time, I don't have an overwhelmingly high degree of confidence in any of them. I feel good enough to put a little bit of money on them, but I'm certainly not going to break the bank going all in on these bets, and that goes for week one as well. We'll get to that next week. But when you're talking about the first games of the season, it's one of those things where we think we know, but we don't really know. We're going to find out, but week 1 can be dangerous. It can be dangerous to go in too hot and too heavy early on because there's just a lot of uncertainty. Now, saying that, I mean that's true. We got to got to put that out there. But if you really have a good beat on a team, you have a chance to get ahead of the sports books. They'll figure it out pretty quickly. But if you have a really, really strong feeling on a team, and they have a a big game in week one, or at least a game against a a decent opponent, and maybe even week two, you have a couple of weeks, a very small window to try to make make some big money on those teams. Now, none of these teams in week zero do I feel that strongly about. There's a couple teams in week one I do, though. We'll get to those next week. But we're going to focus on week zero here real real quick before I get out of here. And I got a couple of plays With, I think, the feature game of the weekend. It's clearly the feature game of the weekend. Which, of course, is the game in Dublin, Ireland. Big Ten opener for both Nebraska and Northwestern. And this is a game that I'm extremely confident that Nebraska is going to win. That's not the question. We're not taking the money line here. Is Nebraska going to cover the 13-point spread as it sits right now? How many times have you heard over the past eight months, nine months of the offseason that Nebraska was the best three-win team in the history of college football last year. I know, you're tired of hearing that, and trust me, a couple of days, we won't have to hear it anymore. But even though it's annoying to continue to hear that, it's kind of true, right? Nebraska was so close to being like a, a at least a 7-5, 8-4 team, they couldn't close a deal in a lot of those games. Well, one of the games, one of the three games in which they were able to close the door was the game against Northwestern, in Lincoln last year. And they were able not just to close the door on Northwestern, they slammed that door shut en route to a 56-7 to victory over the Wildcats. And I don't think that that Nebraska team was as good as I believe this Nebraska team will be now that they've got Casey Thompson at quarterback. Nebraska was, like, it's crazy to say it, but they really weren't a bad football team. Like, they were close to Plus a thousand yards in their total yardage margin last year, guys. But they just made consistently made catastrophic mistakes that cost them games. And the prime culprit behind those catastrophic mistakes is no longer at quarterback. Adrian Martinez is now in the Little Apple in Manhattan, Kansas. And and best wishes to the guy. It's probably best for both parties for there to be a little bit of a divorce there and go their separate ways. Casey Thompson, I'm not sitting here saying he's an elite quarterback. I think we saw last year he's a good player. He was a good, productive quarterback for Texas. But he's not elite. At least he has not shown that yet. But he also hasn't shown that he's going to make those catastrophic mistakes that cost Nebraska football games. And if he can just not do that not only are they going to win this game, they're going to win this game by by two plus touchdowns. I mean, guys, Northwestern was 1-8 and eight in the Big Ten last year. Their lone win came at home against Rutgers, a 21-7 to victory. Their eight other Big Ten games, all losses, they lost by an average of 25 points. Now, why is that going to change in one year? And why is that going to change at a neutral site? This is a Northwestern home game, but it's not in Evanston, even if it was, it's not that much of a home field advantage. If anyone is going to have a quote unquote home field advantage in this game, it's almost certainly going to be Nebraska. They have a bigger fan base, a more loyal fan base, and more passionate fan base. The Husker faithful are going to make that trip more than the Wildcat faithful are. So if anyone has a home field advantage, even though it's a Northwestern home game, it's going to be Nebraska. So if I can get the Huskers at under two touchdowns in this game, sign me up today. But that's not the only play I have on this game. I also. Really like the under 49.5 in this game. Now, I think Nebraska is going to score quite a few points in this game. 30-plus easily. And I love Pat Fitzgerald. I think he's done an amazing job. As good of a job as anyone could have done at that job. And they've always kind of hung their hat on defense. Just a, a scrappy, gritty, physical defense. But last year, that defense let them down. They fell off the face of the earth. They were 102nd nationally in total defense. And they were giving up chunks of yards. I mean, at times, teams were moving the ball at will on Northwestern last year, Nebraska was one of those teams. I do expect there to be some sort of a defensive resurgence for Northwestern this year. I have a hard time believing they're going to be that bad defensively two years in a row under Pat Fitzgerald. But the bottom line is, it, it's it's about players, guys. They just don't have the players to compete against teams. Like, even Nebraska. Nebraska's not an elite Big Ten team, but they are clearly more talented than Northwestern. And it's really just not even close. So, I do think Nebraska's going to put up points in this game. The thing is, I don't think Northwestern is going to be able to score much at all. I'm talking, I, I would not be shocked if Northwestern is in single digits in this game. They scored in the single digits in three of their nine Big Ten games last year. And outside of their lone win, the Big Ten, against Rutgers, 21-7, 21 points, 21 big points in that game. Outside of that one win, they did not score more than 14 points in any other Big Ten game the rest of the year. And I don't know why there should be any reason to think that's going to change this year. The reality is Ryan Alinsky is just not a very good quarterback. He was bad when he got opportunities to play last year. I mean, he threw for under a 1,000 yards, three touchdowns, four picks. Now, he wasn't the full-time starter, but when he was in there, he was not good. I think Evan Hull's a pretty good running back. He went a little over 1,000 yards last year, but if that team is one-dimensional, which is what they've been for a couple of years now, they're going to have a really, really hard time moving the football. They're going to have a really hard time scoring points. I see this game probably as a a 35-10 type game. It'll get close to that number. I just don't see it going over 49 and a half points. I'm going to take that under all day long. For the next pick, let's stay in the Big 10. Let's go to Champaign, Illinois, where the Fighting Illini are going to be hosting the Wyoming Cowboys as an 11-point home favorite. I really like Illinois to cover the 11 points in this game. I think The Illini are actually going to be a pretty decent team this year. They they had some moments last year. They beat Penn State. They beat Minnesota. And they lost three games. They lost to Maryland, Purdue, and to Rutgers. I know Rutgers is not good. That's a tough loss. We lost those three games by a combined 13 points. And they got better as the season wore on. I love Chase Brown at running back. I think he's one of the better running backs in the Big Ten. And this year, I actually believe they're going to be a little bit better at quarterback. Tommy DeVito certainly had a rough go of it at Rutgers but this is a guy that was a former pretty highly rated recruit and he's going to be better than Brandon Peters who was up and down he was in and out of the lineup with injuries I think DeVito gives him a little bit more natural ability at that position and I'm also really high on Isaiah Williams who's now completely converted full-time to wide receiver this is a guy that wanted to play quarterback coming out of high school. He went to Illinois to get the opportunity to do that. Alabama was recruiting him as a receiver, as an all-purpose guy. So that tells you what he can do with the ball in his hands if Alabama's going after you. Well, now he's kind of leaned fully into that. He's not even trying to play quarterback anymore. He did that for a couple of years, for a year or so. But now he's a full-time wide receiver. And he, he was that for most of last year, but he was making the transition last year. Now he's got that full year under his belt playing that position. I think he could be a, a breakout-type guy in the Big Ten this year with Tommy DeVito able to get the ball in his hands a little bit more consistently. Luke Ford, who was uh, originally a Georgia tight end, transferred back home to Illinois. He's now a senior, gives them another weapon in the passing game. Wyoming is just going to be a middle-of-the-pack-at-best Mountain West team this year. They were 7-6 and six a year ago. They'll probably flirt with about 500 again this year. They just don't have really anything that scares you. They're playing all on the road in a Big Ten game here. And I just don't think they have the guys to match up with Illinois, who is not a great Big Ten team. I think Illinois is a team that could absolutely find themselves in a bowl game at the end of this season. And I think they're going to start it off hot at home with a two-touchdown victory over Wyoming, at least two touchdowns. So give me the Fighting Illini minus 11 at home against Wyoming. And then my final pick of Week 0, let's go all the way out to the Pacific Ocean. Let's leave the mainland United States, and let's look at this Hawaii-Vanderbilt game. Vandy is sitting there right now as an eight-point favorite on the road. And Hawaii is going through a bit of a transition this year. Timmy Chang, former quarterback Timmy Chang, former Hawaii quarterback Timmy Chang, has come back to his alma mater as head coach. There's a little bit of a controversy on how that went down. It was maybe going to be June Jones, and they were going to use June Jones to transition to, to Timmy Chang. And June Jones is like, I don't want anything to do with that. So they just gave Timmy Chang the job outright. He has uh, basically no experience to speak of as a head coach. And this is, this is a leap of faith for them. And I don't think it's going to be especially pretty in year one. And you know what? On the other side, I actually like Clark Lee. Vanderbilt is a very difficult job, and it was not pretty a year ago to the tune of a 2-10 and record overall, 0-8 in the SEC, and they just really were not even competitive outside of that South Carolina game last year. But I believe in Clark Lee. I think he's a guy that can get this program back to respectability. I don't think they have much of a ceiling higher than that, but I think he can get them to that point. I think this is a cerebral guy. I think he knows how to motivate his players. He thinks outside the box, which is something I think you have to do at a program like Vanderbilt. And I'm very intrigued by their quarterback, the guy they've already named their starter, a guy named Mike Wright, who didn't play a ton for them last year, played a little bit. Uh, he, he threw, I guess he kind of split time at at various points with Ken Seals at quarterback. He threw for a little over 1,000 yards. But what intrigues me about Mike Wright is what he's able to do with his legs. He was the second-leading rusher on the team last year, rushed for just under 400 yards, and, and I guess split duty at the quarterback position. But now that he's going to be the guy, I think they can unleash him with his legs and allow this guy to make plays. I was at the Vanderbilt Georgia game last year and when he came in the game now granted Georgia was subbing liberally at this point but when he came in the game the Vanderbilt offense started to move the ball at least a little bit more than what they were doing prior to him coming in the game. I believe he gives them a playmaking option at quarterback, which is something that can help you win a game like this on the road at Hawaii. And look, I know Vanderbilt doesn't have a ton of talent. They are the least talented team in the SEC, and it's not even remotely close. But it's still an SEC team. It's still an SEC roster. They're still recruiting from the southeastern portion of the United States, which is where the best high school football players reside. That's just fact. Hawaii does not have that kind of talent. Vanderbilt is, I know it's hard to believe Vanderbilt's more talented than anybody, but they are more talented than Hawaii, they are in year two of the Clark Lee era, so they've kind of gone through that transition, whereas Hawaii is going through that transition right now this season, I would like this number a lot better if it was closer to a touchdown, if it was like, oh I don't know, at seven points, which I believe it was earlier in the year, might have opened right around there, now it's gotten up to eight, but you know what, I still like the Commodores in this game, I think they win this game by 10 plus points, so go ahead, give me Vandy at minus eight, And then finally, each week, I'm going to give you the best parlay I've got for you guys. I'm going to call this my parlay of destiny. I love a good parlay, guys. They they have done me well over the years. Now, this week, since there aren't many games to choose from, we are starting out pretty conservatively here. We're actually going to stick with the three games I've already talked about. I told you guys... I'm convinced that Nebraska is going to beat Northwestern, so go ahead, give me Nebraska on the money line, I'm convinced that Illinois is going to beat Wyoming at home, give me Illinois on the money line, I know these are not great odds, right, you got Nebraska coming in, depending on what what you're looking at, anywhere between like minus 570 to minus 590, you got Illinois anywhere from like minus 490 to minus 530, and then also give me Vanderbilt, this is the one, if I had one that I was a little iffy, I still think Vanderbilt's going to beat Hawaii, but I guess that's the ifier of the three bets, but give me Vanderbilt on the money line as well. So you we got three money line bets there to parlay: Nebraska to beat Northwestern, Illinois to beat Wyoming at home, Vanderbilt to go on the road and beat Hawaii in their season opener, and that comes out. I got it a couple of months ago at minus thirteen, minus one thirteen odds for that three team parlay, and I'm sure you can probably get it for something very similar now, depending on what sports book you guys like to use. And that's a nice, easy, conservative. Parlay of Destiny to start with. We'll get a lot riskier. We'll get a, a lot more old with some of these parlays as the season co- goes along. But right now, we just don't have any games to choose from in week zero. So that's what I'm going with. Again, Nebraska, Illinois, Vanderbilt all to win on the money line. And I'll be right back here next week to see how it works out. But that's all I got for you today, guys. Enjoy the hell out of your college football weekend, guys. I know this one isn't the sexiest college ball weekend, but dude. It is a college football weekend. Let me say that again. It is a college football weekend. Every one of these is precious. So live it up, enjoy it, and I'll be right back here next week to break it all down and look forward to every other team in America kicking it off next weekend. So have a great weekend, guys. I'm Tyler, and I'll talk to you guys next week.